Hey everyone, Molly here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to mention a couple of things. This episode was recorded live at Table Wine, so you're going to hear some background noise, people shopping, things like that. There are times where the audio is a little hard to hear the person speaking, but we wanted to keep as much of it as we could and keep the ambient feel. So maybe put in your AirPods or earbuds and see if you can catch um, some of those quieter conversations. And the other thing worth noting is that we have people kind of jump into the conversation. We did it very free form. And then they had introduced themselves either during an icebreaker or separately outside of the conversation. So you'll kind of hear that spliced in between. So it's our best try at this American lifestyle. So we hope you enjoy. It was absolutely one of my most favorite days of owning table wine to share wine with people like this. So uh, enjoy. Thanks for tuning in this season and we'll catch you next season. Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. I am joined today by my lovely co-host, Andy Stoiber. Hi. Hello, Molly. Hi. I haven't seen you in so long. I know. It's so lovely. We took, you know, the week off, and I don't know, life got busy. And so now we're here, though, and it's wonderful to look at each other virtually. Hi. And here, I love, I know. We, I mean, we, we still text uh, because a certain thing just dropped that we got really excited about. <laughs> you texted me. <laughs> Are we starting right now? Are we going to go yeah. right? Right? Are you? Do you want to wait? No, no. Let's the... just do, let's just talk about it. Um, yeah, the Harry Styles single. Everybody, if you haven't been listening to it on repeat daily, I don't know what's wrong with you. <sighs> I mean, the video. You, the video is really what oh gets God. my attention, though, because he's just effortlessly beautiful he's and perfect. So pretty. He's, He's so, so handsome. I can't really handle it. And um, I think between Pippa and myself, we can't decide who is more attracted to <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Connor's not part of this conversation. I mean, he, you know, he appreciates him, but like, you know. No, I lo- oh, he's so beautiful. I do want to know, like, watching that video, he's just so flawless, but like, it looks so human yes. and... I want us to address the fact that there's probably gobs of makeup on him. Who knows what sort of fitness regimen that some, he has, like a personal trainer, yes, some special diet so he can look that perfect. Yeah, but you know what? Like that's fine because when he takes his shirt off and he's in those teeny tiny uh, little red boxers, I'm like, I don't care what you. I know. Do <laughs> that's what, we need more of that? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I would have <laughs> like so just, like good. a shot square on the boxers, but yeah. Good enough. Close enough. We're finally yeah. seeing some more objectification of men <laughs> that I'm here for. Speaking of objectification of men, the only thing we're going to talk about about the Oscars, there's only one thing we're not going to talk about anything else. We're Amy just... Schumer? Just kidding. <laughs> just, totally. Just kidding. We're going to talk about a certain young man and his beautiful chest as well, right? Wait. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I had to think Will Smith. And I'm like, why are we going to talk about Will Smith? But no. that's all anyone wants to talk about no. around the Oscars. But you're right. This is a better thing. Right? Our um, boy. Our, our boy, Timmy Chalamet. Our, our boy, Timmy, and that beautiful, open-chested jacket. Oh, that. God. I was talking with someone yesterday, and she said, she's like my age, and she said, like, yeah, I don't quite get it. Like, he he's really young. And I said, I think with him, it's like an aesthetic. Like, he's so yeah beautiful like you just yeah. look at him and he's so pretty that's what it is for me it's not so much it's not like harry it's not it's not like 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> because Harry oozes sex appeal. Or yeah, like right. Very, like, I think, yeah. like, yeah, like I feel like they're different. They're they're very similar to each other, but they're they kind of for me at least hit slightly different notes. Yeah, I for some reason was like, yeah, Timothy's like a hot cousin, and I was like, wait, what does that mean? I'm not <laughs> saying I'm into hot cousins. I don't think I've had a hot cousin that I'm like, oh, but. <laughs> So maybe salvage that, but like something about it's like a charm and beauty that you can appreciate yes. and seems like just sincere and cute. And like you want to just like pat him on the head and be like, yeah. oh, you beautiful little boy. You, you beautiful little statue boy. Look at you. I know. You're so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a Greek statue come to life. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's true. I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that something really actually important happened today. So Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed by the Senate. When did that happen? Not, lo- not long ago. I know, right? Woo! Um, not long ago, like an hour ago, maybe. Ah, oh, that's great. I know. So good news. That's pretty exciting. That is really exciting. We can go back <laughs> to talking about hot men, but I just wanted to acknowledge <laughs> that history was made today. So no, that's good. I mean, hot men or Ted Cruz and his <laughs> line of questioning that was absurd. It was so I- out I mean- of line. We, like, quickly, did you? How much did you listen? Because I found this Supreme Court hearing to be shockingly good entertainment in like the most depressing way about our government and the senators that the questions they ask. You're like, oh my god! I didn't watch a lot of it. I did like read a lot of it on Twitter, you know. So I was just kind of like following, and I was like, oh, I didn't know Ted Cruz actually claimed that his Latinx heritage. I've yeah. never heard him refer to himself as a Hispanic before. Convenient that he does it now. Yeah, I know. I thought. Yeah. Really interesting, but like I wasn't expecting to find it fascinating, but like public radio had it on. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa, this is good content. This is some absurdity. (laughs) It's just gross, you know? And considering the people that they've confirmed in recent years with like no fight at Mm -hmm. all, I'm like, I'm sorry, are you, you're, you're fighting her? I know. She's perfect. If you had to like create a nominee for Supreme Court justice, it'd be her, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard commentary where it's like, Democrats were doing the same thing to Amy Coney Barrett about like Obamacare. And it's like, this is not apples and apples here. Like, no, completely different strategies. Yeah. Because like one is like a judge, you know, and has like served and has like a record of what she does. And the other one is just a handmaiden who <laughs> got picked out of a crowd. Like, come on. <laughs> Beautiful commentary. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those things, though. I recommend looking back at some of these questions and things that were said. Because oh, for sure. Yeah. Truly astounding. Like, an author can't put this in a book because it would seem too implausible. But yeah, I feel real. like I don't know if Ibram Kendi actually said that, but I feel like Ibram Kendi was kind of like, never thought people would say this about my book. <laughs> like, <right? laughs> like, yeah. No, no, I don't think babies are racist. Like, is that seriously a question? Her pause during that questioning was just like, just so beautiful. The, yes. Just I mean, the, the little pauses and interact, like how she can, the little ways you can show resistance and disdain for the questions you're being asked right. while having to be perfect. Right. Uh, fine line that she crossed, that yeah. walked very well, I thought. Right. And I feel like so many people that I follow were talking about just like, this is so much trauma for black people. Like, just like, I haven't watched this, you know, like they weren't watching it because they were like, I can't relive this. Right. Which I, I, I can only empathize right with that, but yes. she handled it beautifully. Yes. So much what like dog whistling yeah. that is even it's like yeah. I felt louder than a dog whistle. I know. Just like obvious 
racism and misogyny yeah that is somehow packaged into a senator's question i know <laughs> it's just like i know really sad i'm sorry no you don't have to apologize. It should motivate you to run run for office and that's what i think like watching these things is like oh my god like most people i know would be a better better senator than this dude right right but like as a liberal white woman from madison like look we already have tammy like i'm not we'd rather know? have you than ron johnson right you know it's <laughs> no i know but i'm saying we're not gonna have a state of two liberal white ladies from madison no no right? i don't think so and like I, connor just told me last night that mark pocan apparently has like the most progressive record in the house because oh. he's our representative and so he feels like super safe. <laughs> like he's like, I can vote for literally all progressive things, right? Because I know I will get reelected. And I was like, right, like I don't want Mark Pocan to not be in the house. <laughs> like he's That's a- true. Okay. And then, you know, I talk with the people I know who are in state government. Mm-hmm. And it sounds Mm. exhausting, you know, and like having been in front of some committees and stuff and like watching my friends, I'm just like, that's, I I could, I couldn't do that. I don't think it's fun. No. (laughs) In the traditional sense. No, no, not at all. This is much more fun. So. Yes. 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 I think anybody, anybody out there, think about office. Yeah. Think about running for office. Maybe if you live in like, you know, a more rural place, a redder place, maybe you should run for office. Ideal. Yeah. I think so. That's good. Okay. Good. Right? Yeah. Well, Molly. Okay. Okay. So now we are doing a special edition of Popping the Cork and Decanting, correct? Correct. We, a few weeks ago, had a party at Table Wine with some of our nearest and dearest to take our natural wine flow all the way to the the drinker. So we gathered with some folks to pop the cork, as the case may be, with on some of these wines, chat about natural wine with people, and that's what this episode is all about. So you're going to get to hear maybe yourselves <laughs> um, or people that you know, or just you know the voices of regular folks along with me and Andy. That's a very special episode of Table Wine. Yeah. So we started with a natural white wine from a favorite region known as Basque, right? It's true. Yeah, we started with the Agare Chacalina. If you have been shopping at Table Wine really like ever <laughs> and asked us about crisp white wines, we probably put a Chacalina in your hands because we all love it so much. So these wines come from the Basque region of Spain, way far north. We'll go into the details more about this wine But one of the reasons that I picked this wine is that it was brand new to the store. So I felt confident that no one had had it yet. And that was challenging considering the group that we had gathered were some of our very best and most regular customers. So I wanted to keep things um, interesting for everybody, including ourselves. So let's see what everyone had to say. In my mind, today is the last day of winter. I'm hoping it's Do you want me to say words? Okay, great. So words about this wine. So... This is from a winery called Agari in Gataria, and that's in the Basque region of Spain. The wine is Chocoli, that's like the region, or Chocolina, they go by both. Reasons I picked it. So first of all, all the wines today are natural because the season, if you haven't been listening to the season in this podcast, if you perhaps got rubbed in because you might be related to someone who's here, um, <laughs> the podcast that Andy and I co-host is all about natural wine this year, and we've been going from the people who've made the wine all the way through kind of the global supply chain to the people who are drinking it 
you are the people who are drinking it. So I picked three different natural wines that Andy and I have not already talked about. And this was brand new to the shop just last week. So Chakali is one of my personal favorite regions. And this is Hondurabi Zuri, which if you've never had a wine from this region, you've probably never had that grape before because that's really the only place that it grows. A small third generation winemaker. They're right on the ocean because it's just like a mountain straight down to the sea and it's right outside of San Sebastian. And yep, that's it. It's seaside. I have a question about this way. I want to answer it. Okay, and noticing that like sometimes chocolate or chocolate has that frizzante quality. Um, is that done when they do the ferment? They just keep the stainless steel cap on? Yeah. It's similar to like, you know, during fermentation, all the gas goes and just stays and then rehabilitates itself into the, the actual wine. Uh, I'm Dylan. <laughs> Dylan works for the wine industry. And I was like, Organized. <laughs> I had that before you. Don't get too intimidated. That was a pair. <laughs> I totally hesitated. I was like, I really want him here. But I was like, he did sell me wine for years. And he runs um, not a c competitor. A different store. He runs a different store. I just work at a different store. Molly wouldn't hire me, so I had to get a job. I can't afford you. <laughs> Technically, it does, Dylan. It does. So, um, I actually have the chocolate pourers. I don't know if any of you have ever seen these, but they're like this little spout that I was I meant to bring. This is like just you put it in the bottle, and then in the Basque region, like they would pour here. It's like, well, it's just a spout that helps. Like it just you gotta do it for And so then, then you do have to get the little bubbles. So, <laughs> so, there are some wineries like Amistoy, um, I think some of you know, is kind of like the big chocolate producer that we carry most of the time. Their effervescence is like more noticeable. Like it's more like, it's always bubbly. This is kind of like from the pouring. And then there are some that are totally still. And that's just winemaker decision. Yep. Trick him. Can you drink this? <laughs> is it without like the frizziness or the, mm -hmm. like, the bubbliness? Hey, my name is Sean. I've been coming to Table Wine since the very beginning because I knew Molly before Table Wine. We worked at a software company and we've both moved on to bigger and better things. Um, and I love where we are now much better than where we were. <laughs> You'd just be like, it's the great still white wine. What do you guys all think? Have that. Hi, I'm Alexis Matthews. I have been coming to Table Wine for about four and a half years. Um, my husband and I started coming here when we moved to Madison. Um, I've always been into wine, but Molly and Connor have really helped me dig deeper and learn what I like and learn more about wine in general. It could be tricked into thinking it's Sauvignon Blanc. Like it has a lot of that like citrus quality, mm -hmm. almost like lemon rind Not to it. Goose. One of the things I liked about this wine is that it is a natural wine, but it doesn't have any of the like tangy, wild foam. It tastes very clean, right? Like it just tastes like the seaside. Like I think that you just, and citrus, right? I think that it just, um, yeah, it doesn't. Elicate. What's that? Delicate. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the, the season, to me, it's taught, like, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, if I drink this blind, think it's a natural wine, but me, the more I drink, the more I'm like, okay, the purity of fruit thing, there's just like a purity, like the seaside. It feels like 
you're tasting something right where it's like fresh, like that's the way it's I would love to get true oysters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead, I have salt and potato. Same thing. Close your eyes and a crunch and then just So there is a beach in San Sebastian. Yeah, right. Hi, I'm Barb. I live in the neighborhood, so that's how I found table wine. And I really found table wine when Molly started teaching classes online during the pandemic. Um, one friend and I took the first class, realized that it was three bottles of wine. And I was like, well, shit, we can't just do this by ourselves every month. So I've sort of had like a rotating cast of people for dinner parties for wine classes since I tried that first one. And I'm happy to be a listener of the podcast and back in the store in person. And it's a gorgeous beach. It's like a round, it's like a half circle beach where there's a carousel and it's beautiful. And I was there on a trip through, first I was in Southern France and then drove through the mountains over to San Sebastian. And my friend and I were gonna have this amazing food tasting. and We were gonna lay on the beach cause that's what the trip was all about. And it rained whole oh. fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was mean. Like, people were not approachable. We ate at McDonald's, <laughs> right? We ate, but we had been in Paris for two weeks before and everything was lovely. Um, we ate at McDonald's, I was embarrassed to even say this, we ate at McDonald's twice in San Sebastian. Twice. What? Twice? So lovely Sebastian. So to me, this wine tastes like that beach. It was wet and Hateful. dark. <laughs> and, I mean, I like the way it tastes, but like a rainy beach day. It tastes yeah. to me like a rainy beach day, probably because that's what I think of when I think chicken. of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> there were chicken nuggets. But I think what, you're, what I'm about to share isn't about the wine itself, but just more the, if I didn't know about the shop, I never would have tasted this grape or have known I was tasting it. I'm gonna make Emily go because okay. I called you out once, Howard. I chose a bottle of wine that I don't know how to say the name of. I know Grunerfeld, and I don't know how to say this. Is that we picked it because you don't know how to say it? No, but um, I think- Good trick, it's right, good trick. I chose it because when Table Wine opened, one of the things I appreciated most about it was being able to come into a shop and say, I have no idea how to pick wine. And every year on Christmas Eve, we have an open house in the before times, and uh, now hopefully again. <laughs> And this was one of the first bottle of wines, I think somebody said, whoever was working that night, maybe Connor, um, you can kind of pair this with anything. It's so food friendly and it just made me feel empowered. Like, okay, it's gonna work and it'll be good and quality. And so I've used it a lot for gatherings. And every time I'm in here, I kind of look at it again, like, hello, old friend. Um, so when you mention your McDonald's, I think about being intimidated by different places. And I feel like the shop and the tastings and all the things have just made me feel like, oh, I know when I go there, I'm not gonna be made to feel not smart enough to be there or, and so um, the wine tastes lovely. I may not remember the name of the grape, but I know that I like it a lot. <laughs> that makes sense. That's totally great. Does anybody have anything else they want to say about this wine? Do you? Have well, I was going to say I just like what Emily said, where I'm fascinated by people who want to like, or people who do enjoy drinking wine. But the reality is, you don't often remember things about the wine you're drinking. And like, I bring up drinking with my friends, where I give them good wine a lot, and I like lecture them a little bit. 
And then a friend was like, is Reese, what, what color is Riesling? I'm like, are you serious? Like, you, don't, you don't even know that? Like all these years I've spent on grooming you for this and you ask that? Like, and I just realized like, oh yeah, like the goal of good wine drinking is to just enjoy it and not even have to think about it. So it's just like, but you're all here, so you care enough. I'm just like curious what you'll take away or how. And so what I said, like if you can order Chocolina at a restaurant, if you remember Basque or Chocolina or like any of those key terms yeah. and associate that with this, or like this wine, any Chocolina won't be crazy different than this, right? Like, they're in... No, they're all, I mean, you know, there are a couple other grapes that they can use, but most of them are going to be at least predominantly this grape, Ponderabi Zuri, which I don't expect you to remember, right? Like, I really, but I really genuinely don't. Like, I don't think that that's a grape that people need to, like, know or have in their repertoire. Like, if you like this wine and you ever are out at a restaurant and you see TX, go for it. Yes. Yes, I want that wine, right? Like, that's really, like, all I think you need to take away. And this isn't wine class, but this is my favorite wine class question. What would this pair well with? Hmm. Oysters. 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 Um, Yeah, I mean, all things that Barb did not get to eat while she was in San Sebastian. Um, But I do, I mean, really, genuinely, like... (laughs) (laughs) And you could treat it, I think we were talking about, like, how it is decently similar to South Blanc. You can also treat it South like a Sauv Blanc, right? So it could go with goat cheese, lemon pasta, like it can go with other things as well. Goose chicken with like a lemon. For sure. So from the white, I decided to really throw everyone a curveball. So based on David's conversation that we had with him where he said he likes to pour sparkling red wines for people, I picked a red Petnat from Radica in Slovenia. So it is a Rafask Kolfundo. And again, we'll talk more about the wine specifically. But when I picked it, I did specifically want to kind of mess with people's minds. And it did. Enjoy. So then when Andy and I were picking this lineup, I was like, what if we poured a sparkling red for everybody? So here we are, everybody. So this is from, the winery is Radica, and they're in Slovenia. And this is sparkling Rafasco. So Rafasco is the grape. You really only see it in Italy and Slovenia, a little bit in kind of Eastern Europe. This is a Petnat. For those of you who don't know what that means, it is made like Cezanne beer, if you're familiar with how that's made. So they bottle the wine before fermentation is complete first time around. So that's what gives it. Dylan was talking about the bubbles in the tank and the cap and the whole thing with the first wine. This is... The yeast is still in the bottle. It hasn't. It's not complete. They put the cap, the crown cap on it. Uh, the sugars eat the yeast, and the little CO2 is, you know, trapped inside the bottle. So then you pop the top off and have a little sparkling, a little effervescence to it. Yeah. Okay. So you know, funky tone. Yes, funky yeah. tone, right? Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, what's a word that's not funky? These are barn. Right? Is this a fair word? <laughs> I'm going to model a failure. The first thing that came to my mind was like a rubber, like a burning tire. Hi, I'm Jason, and I know Molly and Table Wine through my sister, who is a frequenter and regular at the place. That's what I smell. Burning tire. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, like rubber is a natural, a natural occurring thing. It can burn. That's true. <laughs> One of the things I like about it, though, is I don't think it tastes the way that it's not to mind fuck with the taste versus the, the nose in, right. a, in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a twin mind fuck. <laughs> like, there's no other way to describe it, right? Like, you can call it a roller coaster, you can try to whatever, but. Yeah, you're very nice. 
Grace's hand, right? I told my phone. I think yeah. my daughter totally should have a good time. Oh, I love it. Yes. The grape was Rafasco. I just had that last night for the first time. Really? But in its pure Not form. Patent out form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I bought three bottles of it. I loved it. Yeah. You know, it did, but it, it, it was, um, and I guess I don't know if this is from the patent out being made into a patent out or what, but it, it was more um, very food pairing friendly. And I guess this would be too, but in a more like, this is more like a bolder fruit forward way than that was. Um, but they're both great. So I tasted that wine yesterday. So, yeah. I, so the, the wine that uh, Alexis had yesterday is from far northern Italy, and the winemaker was in town yesterday. So their Rafasco is aged for two years on the lees. So that's like, so in our pet nut scenario, these little guys, this like little spent yeast stuff, those would be the lees, and he aged, they age it for two years. Um, in barrel on the leaves, and so it's like super, super smooth. So it is like a totally different yeah. beast yeah. than this, right? Where yeah. this is like a lot more, I don't know, there's a lot more acid in this guy. Yeah. You know about the grape too, and it really grows only like northern Italy and Friuli, the Veneto, and then Slovenia, like very mountainous regions that yeah. get really cold. So that's gonna like drive up the acidity yeah. and like really make it that super fresh kind of like cleansing style. Um, I think the pet net style really plays true to that. Like, I haven't had this other wine, but, like, this stays, like, a channel of, like, tart red fruit and then, like, really fresh acidity on the side of the mouth. Um, can I see the bottle? Yeah. But also, um, I think rocks, right? I feel like there's, I feel like there's, like, a rock. Both. There's, like, slaty or fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah, for like, sure. Yeah. This would be a good one, I feel like, for a component class to, like, actually share what granite or what right? I also feel like we could do it the other way where it's like we're going to taste this one wine and have like three different things like (laughs) the rocks and the red fruit you know what I mean because I feel like there's like and like I don't know I don't want to do menorah but like some some sort of barn barn element I don't know about my (laughs) you know I do feel like there's a lot so for the people who said they don't know much about wine what does it make you guys think like when you taste a wine that smells or smell a wine that smells like this well I liked the smell and both of them did not. And then, but the taste like surpassed the smell for me. I'm Kelly, and I know Molly and Connor through Kristen, who's been going to their wine classes pretty religiously for the last couple of years. Like, I think it's, and I'm picky with reds. I don't like, I don't do well with acidity, and so I have to have, I can't do a lot of dry ones. And it's like, this is, I would drink this for dessert. Like, it's like a good, I really like this one. Yeah, <clears throat> I've had the, um, uh, beers that are brewed with like a wild yeast yeah. that's not a, a normal strain that's well characterized in terms of its flavor profile and some of those just smell awful and th- this has that kind of same funk to it but the uh, yeah the the red fruits as you say that i get that that fruitiness to it and that real sharp effervescence when it hits your tongue i i like that a lot that's awesome i know you don't like funk how was this this one's borderline for me yeah hi i'm Kristen. I have been coming to Table Wine pretty much since they opened, and when I started coming here, I was drinking sugar sweet wines and maybe the occasional movie theater wine and had no idea what real wine was, and Molly has taught me that over the years. I think, like you said, it's more prominent on the nose than when you taste it. You get more of the fruit, and then the, like, I'm getting tannin on it. So that's, again, going back to the mindfuck thing, like, it's light and bubbly, but then it's like, oh wait, 
There's, there's, some, there's something here. I've got an idea for your mindfuck glass, by the way. You can extend it beyond the wines as well, right? Yeah. So when everybody comes in and sits down, instead of wine glasses, you just put a bunch of broken glass shards on the table. <laughs> And then, and then just stare at them expectantly. There may be some waiver signing at the beginning of your class so no one cuts themselves. Just come into this room and there's broken glass everywhere. And we're fucking blind. <laughs> We'd all be there. I know you would be. I know. <laughs> Thank you. My question is, would you bring this to a dinner party? I was just thinking, I want this. I'll probably leave with it. And where would I take it? I would probably just take it home. Yeah. I struggle to think that this would be an easy sell to people who are not like into the wine world just based off of like the nose, you know? Because it is so funky, but the taste is great. Yeah. Like and I just want it for myself, maybe, as like the, yeah. as the bottom of the story there. I wonder though, like, and you guys know this answer better than I do. Does a regular person like yourselves like drink wine without smelling it? Okay, like, like if you took it to a party, often. would people be like, oh, let's no. get the aroma? That's or would they why, be like, oh, it, well, this is fun. you know, we have different friends and different appreciations of different people. And then, like, some things are like, you know what? Some of my friends, like, I'm not gonna like waste good wine on you because it's not what you like either. And like, that's okay. Yeah. But there are certain people and certain things. You know, like Rachel and Michelle, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Others, not so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you pay it's a sliding scale. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Would I pay for this? Oh, care for it. So, like the the classic, like all Rafasco, because Rafasco, I learned yesterday. I did not know this. It's actually one of the most tannic grapes. So you say that you're getting tan in here is spot on. Um, the classic pairing is charcuterie. So really, like any cured meat of any kind, something gamey. Something spicy. Um. Doc with like a plum sauce. So, uh, hi, my name is Paddy Grimes. Um, I feel like we've been coming to the shop pretty much since it opened. Uh, and sort of those weird twists of fates where you have sort of mutual friends. And uh, so Connor used to work at a bar that my friend owns when they, when they were sort of moving here to Madison. Um, and then, yeah, come to the classes and sort of expanding knowledge on, on wine and things like that. Um, and sort of delving a lot deeper into the, the sort of the wine world or trying to build up knowledge and things like that. That'd be great, yeah. right? I think something, yeah, I do. What's up? Blue cheese on the would be fantastic. What's that pizza that Sal's does with um, the, the bacon, the fig and the bacon, right? I feel like it could really hold up to that. Yeah, well, Kelly's your name? Once you said that thing about, um, I, I don't know if you used the word port, but see. Yeah, that's what it was. And then that made me think maybe with blue tea. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a rich quality to it that it could like stand up to a stronger cheese, like a, a funkier cheese. I would also do this with like an interesting like bullion and I think that's like that's that part of Italy, like in this Slovenia, right? Like that's where it grows. Yeah, it grows together. It goes. Together. It goes together. Yeah. Like what do they eat yeah, yeah. up there? Totally. I keep thinking hot Italian beef sandwich. Oh. Uh, Why? It's also because that's what I want. <laughs> Did you have lunch before this? No. Okay. We gotta get through. Obviously. I would drink this out in the summer with like a slight chill while yeah. in my hammock. 
just drinking this instead of the typical like roses and whites mm-hmm. and things, but like being able to enjoy a red that's not a Syrah like I normally drink or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. I want that's light enough to be summery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The laying on a chase lounge, drinking this with like a no plate of grape leaves. <laughs> those things. What are the grape leaves? What things that are wrapped in grape leaves? Is that what those are? Yeah. Yeah. Grape leaves? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't know. As a vegetarian, I feel like the weird, like to me, it has that the grape leaves, I don't know, sliminess or something, but like the oddness of it that I want to pair with something that has a little oddness to it. Like the funk of this, I think it'd be fun to eat with that um, and feel like a like Greek prince. For a day, <laughs> or Slovenian prince, I don't know. Do they have grape leaves? Someone could be feeding you grapes too. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I need a side gig these days. I'm not working that Patty, what do you think? I'm curious. How how close your tastes? Hold on. So, like, this isn't something that I would enjoy. Or like gravitate to, and I think this is the second time we've had this, right? So, like, oh, for riffles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, I can appreciate it from like the foody stuff, and then we're, you know, I talk about like ducking that, like gamey meats, and like putting like a like a plum sauce to play up that sort of red fruits. Uh, but it wouldn't be something that I would gravitate to. Um, but I think that's when you ask about like normal person. Yeah. Like, I'm not in that sort of calorie because, like, you know, I smell beer before I drink it, you know, because I want to know what it smells like. So, and the same with wine. So, again, that's where, you know, would you bring this to the party? Like, your point, it would depend on who was in at the party. You know, is it people that are interested in it or is it people that would actually go, oh, you've brought this, so I'm going to try it because I trust your opinion or know that you're not going to give me something that's quote unquote bad. You know, it's like you last night sending me over it, like, Beer, pick a beer. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what do you want? Okay, this. You know? Um, so it's, it was a terrible decision, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Oh, it's a tipping point. Tipping yeah. point. Yeah. You're still feeling it now? Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Just because I'm seeing Barb, so Barb and I um, DM a lot about books and thinking about, like, I don't know that I would take this to a party, but I feel like this, and I don't know what the book is. I'm stewing on that, but like, I feel like that would make like a really nice gift. Like, here's like a thoughtful wine. And a thoughtful book for the, you know, for the right person. But I don't think it's just like any party that you ever go to. Pleaser, necessarily. I don't think so. I mean, you, uh, other than you, like, I don't know. You guys, you tell me. Is it a crowd pleaser? Like, are you all pleased? I would drink it. Also, like, this is a great, but I don't know that I've have had this before. Probably no. And, like, if I saw it in a menu, I wouldn't be like, okay, like, let's go for I don't know. Like, we're, like, the chocolate. Okay, yeah. I know where we're going with that. This... If I saw it on the menu, I wouldn't even know what direction we were headed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. No, but actually, that's where like guidance is like so crucial on this kind of stuff and why things fall. So Justin Spaller, who's the owner of Chromatic, and he's the distributor that we interviewed this podcast season, he and I were tasting on Thursday, and now I'm forgetting what wine it was, but he poured me a wine, and we both were like, hmm, it's very interesting. It's a restaurant wine. And then, like, we had this, like, whole, like, we've ne- I've never broken it into that category of thing before. But I was, like, as the wine shop person, I don't know that I would just send you home with a bottle of this. But if I was a Psalm or I worked at a place where I was, like, I'm pairing this with a specific dish, it was a very cool, interesting wine. And I now am thinking that this wine falls into that kind of category of, like, if I worked somewhere where we made our own charcuterie 
and I would set this down and pour you a glass of that. I'd watch your little fireworks go off, right? But no, I've never given you that bottle because I've always been like, I don't know if they'd like it or not, you know? This makes sense like with a scent menu and a wine pairing where you get like a glass and it's that kind of like interesting, unique, one of a kind kind of thing that you expect from like a scent menu and a wine pairing. That is this. And I think that's a lot of opportunity for like how you could enjoy that with a very specific kind of food and the guidance of someone who's like, this is bizarre, but trust me, you know? Yeah. Was Justin the one that worked at like the chef's table? Yes. table? Yeah. And so I feel like this would be totally with that, where it's right. something that you wouldn't normally order, but it would be a really good learning opportunity and like food pairing, super food friendly, but you can mm -hmm. just have it a taste of it versus a bottle. Right. Yeah. 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 What? I'm just glad that there's been open dissent against this wine. I love this wine, but I think, knowing like your palates and what you've had, it's not that you just like don't drink wine so this is turning you off. It's like, no, this is not a kind of wine that someone who loves lots of kind of wine doesn't have to like. And I'm like, if I had walked into like a hip natural wine bar and was, well, if I was poor, I would like it. But I do also get the sense of like, the pressure you can feel, like, you need to like this cool wine because it's a hip, natural wine, and then you don't like it, and you feel like, oh, I must not be hip and cool. I must not know enough about wine. It's like, no, 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 that's probably not it. You probably just don't like that wine, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Like, I just walked into a natural wine bar in Chicago once, and I was like, okay, all of these things are just, like, expensive natural wines. I don't really like that much, but I feel like I should buy something to feel like I fit in to the cool wine world. To sell wine for a wholesale company and I would come in here and I would pour wines for Molly and you, she would ask me like what do you think about this and Molly loves French wine and I have found out through my years of experience that I don't um, <laughs> and I'd be like yeah it's it fits a what a scenario that you need in the store but I'm not a big fan you'd be like I really love this I'm like you do like, <laughs> like okay but like you know you taste a wine and you're like it's just not your palate even if it's, you know, just like a family producer that's been six generations from the Beaujolais region, or if it's like a pet Nat Rafasco. It's not your channel. It's not your channel. Right? And I think that there are like the wines where I can say, but I know who it's for and I'll bring it in. Right? Like there are lots of those wines, right? But then there are the wines where I taste them. I'm like, no, no one should have to drink this. <laughs> <laughs> this is good for no one's palate. Thank you for weeding those out. Yeah. Hey, well done. There's all my There's I liked the summer image that was sort of going on a bit. Instead of like the fancy Slovenian palace, I think it's like, like we've all looked at Airbnb and seen the Northwoods family cabins that haven't been updated in like 50 years. They have the barns now, they have the wood paneling, they but friends. they also have a beautiful lake. Yeah. They probably have a, it's probably like a mirror with a nature scene on it. So yeah, it yes. has like some funk to it, but also a little bit of sparkle but it has a beautiful lake outside of it. Yeah, and a gravel road, right? Yeah. And a fire pit. The last wine that we drank, Molly, you tried to have me blind taste it. I think I was peer pressured by you and Dylan uh, <laughs> to talk about what, what my guess was, <laughs> and I got really afraid. But turns out, natural Pinot Noir from Germany Alsace. Alsa oh, frick. <laughs> natural Pinot Noir from Alsace. Is cool. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God. What can I say? Uh, the last wine is a natural Pinot Noir from Alsace. Yeah, I picked the Le Pirouette Pinot Noir because I thought it was more classic. I thought it was kind of the least funky or the least 
kombucha, wild, tangy. I felt like it was very pretty and elegant, right? And so I thought that it was going to be unexpected in that regard. Uh, you know, the Radica was there to kind of mess with people's minds because it's like a weird grape and a weird style and whatever. And the Le Pirouette was kind of like, look how pretty and elegant this can be. And then also on top of it, it's natural. Yep. And pure fruit is becoming the term to yeah. describe a natural wine is what I'm learning. And this Pinot really exemplified the purity of fruit. And it's amazing how wine. that wine it is not in our normal price point, but it is amazing how much more that wine has sold since we did this event <laughs> based on our staff having tasted it and like everyone understanding like, oh, there's a reason to buy that specific wine or like there's a reason to kind of branch out and try, you know, Alsatian Pinot from this really small producer. So perfect. Oh, are we doing this blind thing? Is that what you just asked people? I'll be fine. I think I can tell knows and they know what it is because I told them. So you three don't know what it is. <laughs> it is a noble varietal, oh. Andy. Chardonnay. Ah, yes. Everybody you said once there's like this orange breed. Oh, yeah, but... Well, that's good because it's not that great. So. <laughs> Ignore that you ever remembered that. You have to do it now. Why? Low acidity. Okay. High acidity, low acidity. <laughs> do the grid right now. Really fast. Go. Do all the things. It's Pinot Noir. It is? Okay. From Alsace. That's... Um, this... Bye. Fresh the garden rose. This is actually one of Justin's wines. So mm. Justin Smaller does... The other two wines were not from him, but this one is. And this is from an importer that somehow Andy and I have not talked about this season, which doesn't seem possible, but this is from Jenny and Francois. Um, I know. I don't know. I don't know how we've gotten this far in the natural wine conversation and not talked about them. Jenny Lefcourt is kind of the, the mom of natural wine in the U.S., and she does a ton of uh, work and importing. Does anyone have Alsace knowledge? Or does anyone, what comes to mind? Does anyone have France? Concentrated wines. What is that? Cold concentrated wines. So I just had a moment when you first poured it. My first instinct was Pinot Noir because you have explained before like what it looks like, and then I doubted myself. So I'm just trying to have a like. What did you see that told you Pinot Noir? Kind of translucent, you know. It's not like a block, but then I tried to overcomplicate it, and I talked myself out of it. I should have just trusted. What can we say about this wine? It is from a co-op called Le Pirouette. Ven Pirouette. There's apparently a lot of great. There are a lot of grapes grown in Alsace that then get sold to some of the bigger wineries. There aren't a ton of wineries in Alsace. Well, I guess he's not just the, he's not the lone winemaker. So it is a co-op. So there are different people who make different wines under this label. So Christian Binet, he started this co-op because he was like, you're all growing organic or biodynamic grapes and you're getting paid like half the cost that you should be getting paid for these grapes because that's just like the filling rate in Alsace. So it was like important to him that they um, are represented a little bit more. So he created this label and then they make a whole bunch of wines. This is definitely above the normal table wine price point, 
but from a purity of fruit, natural wine, showing like the not funk part of it, just like if I were gonna teach Pinot Noir class and I wanted you to know like, this is what Pinot Noir actually tastes like, right? Like going back to like the first time we ever met of like, it is not Naomi, this is Pinot Noir, <laughs> right? You know, I love you, but you know, um, I think that this wine is like super, super good at that, right? Yeah. Natural wines is like, because there's less intervention and additives, like the precision of a taste of a grape, you really get it. And it's that like story behind the grapes and where they came from and who made them that become a little bit more, I don't want to say believable, but like you can have a closer connection to it. Cause like, oh, this is, this tastes unique. I get what this is. I feel what you are telling me. I know this is about being drinkers, but like as the person who is selling the wine, even though, as I said, I'm not employed by the company, <laughs> um, it's, it's something, yeah, I'd just like everyone to know, I do this out of the kindness of my heart. Uh, no, but like so often a drinker comes in and they say, I want a wine, and then they say your name of a grape, and then they describe what they want, and those two things could not be more different. I love something really hearty, like a Pinot, and you're like, nope. Like... <laughs> So often someone comes in and they describe Merlot and then they ask for Malbec and I'm like, that's, I really want you to just look past the label. And so for something like this, this is so great to take someone who says something like that and say, this is what that should be. Right. If you like this, this is Pinot. And if you like that, that's whatever. Cabernet Sauvignon that's grown in Napa. But this is so helpful as the person selling the wine. And I think as a drinker too, to say, okay, this is the actual... Right, it's just that most of us don't start with like $35 no, Alsatian right. natural Pinot Noir, right? So then what we think of as the benchmark yeah. is not More of a $70 burgundy. Aren't you drinking that? There's a climate change element of why this Pinot is so good from Alsace. Were you just sending me up there and I keep talking? <laughs> Thanks, yes. Well, I, that hey, last thing is great. I mean, I don't think I've had Pinot from Alsace in the past couple of years. And I did just have Riesling from Alsace. And I was expecting something more along the lines of Pinot Blanc from Alsace, which is like, to me, I think Hugel Pinot Blanc is like the emblem of Alsace. And that's like real, more on the fuller fruity side. And you get that fruit here. So you see how the tarwar, right, is like playing across these things. But then the Riesling was like this high acid thing going on, but you get the acidity in here too, where you can see across wines from the region. And I think the natural thing really is showing how much of a like true reflection of what the terroir is. Um, yeah, for and like we were talking with Stephen Bitterell from Von Boden, who specializes in German and Austrian wines. And he was just talking about like German Pinot Noir is the thing that like is super exciting to him, right? And it's very similar to Alsace where when I got into wine 20 years ago, Alsatian Pinot, if, if you could find one, it was so tart. There was just no, there was nothing ripe about it. Um, and, you know, it was totally see-through. You know, I mean, it looked like a red wine that had water poured into it. Like, it just didn't look like wine. And there was just nothing, you know, talking about, you know, the cool kids needing to like the cool wines. There was this, like, ex expectation that you were supposed to like Alsatian wine. And it was like, okay, but like, this is really hard to drink, you know? Um, and this is a, a time where climate change is, you know, in our favor, I guess, because now the fruit gets a little bit riper. So, yeah, does that answer that? <laughs> That's a, the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you all think? 
I think it's the first Pinot Noir I have had in the region, and it's delightful. I mean, just with, like, the acidity, because I get, like, indigestion and heartburn and stuff for something that's super, super acidic. And going back to what you said about how people come in and, like, want one thing, but they're describing something else, coming from someone who knows very little, if anything, about wine, like, a side-by-side, like, a class about side, like, bring in your favorite Pinot Noir, and here, I'm going to give you what it actually should be. That would be, like, mind-blowing for me. Kristen, would you like to talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you, no you, you go. You tell the story of Pinot Noir class. I'm saying, like, the first time that you, had, that you came to Pinot Noir class and you were like, hmm, this isn't what I thought Pinot Noir did. Right, because that's I came in and I had only had Pinot Noir at a movie theater and it was my movie. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is, like, so rich and creamy. <laughs> I love it. And just, like, no, well, I didn't know what acid and tannin were, but I was just like, oh, it's just this nice, round, easy-drinking thing. And then I drank something. I'm like, wait, this tingle, this lightness, what's going on? And now here we are. Do you like this place? I like the fruitiness of it, but I think when I go Pinot, I want to go Willamette. Mm-hmm. I want the like earthy, mushroomy mm-hmm. stuff to be part of my Pinots. Yeah. But this, again, back to like if it was 70 degrees outside and I was sitting on my porch, I would love to sip on this for a red. Well, I just have, had wine from somebody who brought, like, she's like, I like wine. It was my partner's like coworker. And I was like, and I'm always skeptical when. <laughs> when a middle-aged woman approaches me with wine, <laughs> I was like, right, what are you going to be giving me? Like, but then I was like, oh, no, this is actually, like, tasty Pinot, but it was much the Mayomi variety, like, that rich, fuller style. Yeah. But it was really tasty, and the person has a commitment, I think, to liking good wine. And so a Pinot like this, I think, is a nice bridge because it has some incredible fruit that I think is appealing in those Central Coast and or like the Mayomi style, um, and like hints then of the more like clean refinement of Burgundy, but it's much more approachable because it has just like obvious fruit coming at you. Versus we just opened Burgundy a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh my, like if I called it tight, it was just lean and the lean, and I think that like you're gonna be disappointed spending thirty five dollars on a bottle of Pinot that ends up being like you don't get much. That, I think for a lot of people, they might if they came from Mayomi and they're like, I'm gonna buy a fancy bottle of burgundy because this is the pinot that i've heard is the best and they might hate it but this is like this is what you should drink like if you want to start having higher end yeah real pinot that's what i like so that's what i'm thinking about it's like how this fits in for what kind of person i think for me it would be um wanting to come to table one and say what should i drink this with because i remember being at past tastings like there was one class you did on italian whites and we tasted them all. And what I realized at the end is I only like these with food. Like I, this isn't, but I came in thinking, oh, I always love Pinot Grigio. But now that I'm learning more, what I want to drink alone in a particular setting might be different than that. But I would love to have this wine with a particular dish. So I think if it was like I'm making this thing, it's a special dinner, yes. But if it were like I just want to pay $35 to drink it, it's probably not my thing. Yeah, I feel a little bad for it. Like I needed to hear the story to understand that this was a special wine and to understand why this was a special wine. I think if I had just paid $35 for it, I would just be like, oh, really? But like hearing the story and understanding, understanding why it's unique is helpful in appreciating it. A like stewing place about the story versus the wine and trying to like 
share stories, but not have the story take over where you suddenly uh, have convinced yourself. That, I'm not saying that this is what you were saying, but like. So I, I, have, a two part, I have a two part question for the experts. <clears throat> One is what, <laughs> what, what drives the price point of a wine? So why is the bottle of Burgundy 70 where this is only 35? And to what precision can an expert wine drinker guess the value of a bottle of wine? Those are great questions. Those are really great questions. So there's some truth to the pricing and some, I don't know what I want to say. Like, what's up? Hype or taking advantage of. Let's go with Napa as our example. So Napa is, it's very hard to buy land in Napa, right? So the only people who can do it are millionaires. They've spent a lot of money on that land because this is not land that's been passed down through generations. So they are paying for that. You, maybe not you, but people have an expectation of what a winery in Napa needs to look like. So then they build this fancy winery, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, wines from that area are known for being aged in oak. So now they've spent all this money on oak barrels and the cellar. So there are a lot of like actual costs. But then as soon as they put Napa Valley on their label, they know that the person at Woodman's, they don't give a crap what the wine tastes like. They can automatically charge $70, right? So, and then because they charge 70 and their neighbors charge 70, then, you know, you can kind of go from there. So it's like both things. Um, in Burgundy, it's not the land that costs a lot. It's just that there are very, very, very tiny parcels of land. As climate change is getting worse and worse, their yields are super low. So then they have to try to like make as much money as possible, right? And so there, it kind of depends on where you are. From a, can a wine expert taste the difference price point question? It really depends on like who, like what is our wine professional? Like who's counting, right? Like a master som? Yes. For sure, 100% they could taste Naomi and taste this and taste $200 Burgundy and tell you that. that. Um, could I do it? I don't know the answer to that question. I've never done like straight up just price point blind. Um, could you guys do it? I don't think so. And I don't mean that as a knock on you. I don't think the regular person can pick it out. Yeah. On that as well. So I remember we, with a, an old friend of ours, did a, like a blind tasting and beside of our cellar and various different price points and all that sort of stuff and I thought she was going to cry when everyone preferred the cheapest bottle of wine because she's pulled this expensive bottle of wine out of her cellar none of us have seen the label none of us know what it is I wasn't really into wine at that point in time but I was like no I, li I like how this tastes and it's could sort of see she was doing the like, but this is this is the expense. This is what you're meant to like. I'm like, well, I, I, it but just, I don't. Doesn't do anything for me, you know. I think it, there's an element of that with the price point, right? Where it's it's a bit like a Volkswagen and an Audi. It's the same car. It's just got a different sticker on it. You know, it's exactly the same car. Um, and then there is sort of that price gouging, and you know, again, like growing up in Europe, you know, French wine was this like fancy <laughs> thing, you know. It was like I remember going to France when I was 14 bringing wine home and thinking I was cool because I brought wine home for my parents, <laughs> you know? And like, I don't think my dad liked the wine. Um, my mom doesn't really drink, but yeah, it was like one of those things that would go, oh, maybe French wine isn't, isn't that good. Like, I don't know, you know, I was 14, I had no idea. Like, yeah. But um, it, I always find that interesting, the price, but we've talked about doing like baller, baller wines and doing that sort of blind, can you tell the difference? And I think you can, 
tell the difference between the the bottle that costs five bucks out of what you know i think the the certain but it's the same as like with with beer like you can tell the cheap beer to uh craft beer uh, but yeah like there gets a point where it's like well it's 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 france like i don't know what's the difference between the 25 dollar bottle and the 100 dollar bottle. well and that i think that like right and i also think there are those like price point breaks yeah. right where like yeah i think we i think everybody could pick out the under 10 dollar bottle versus the over 100 dollar bottle right i think like you the further you get across you know i think you'd be able to pick it out but if it was like 20 30 70 i don't i'm not even gonna purport that i could do it right Best one to like have that arc with because yeah. there is definitely a point where you cross a threshold mm-hmm. and you're drinking champagne and you're like, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got brioche, I've got almond, I've got richness, I've got nuttiness, and like that is champagne. Yeah. You know, this is not a sparkling wine, it's not a prosecco, it's champagne. Yeah. And like, that's one of like, I think the most fun things to distinguish between the levels up because you really get to appreciate each one for what it is and you know when you cross that line because i can remember a time in my life like i'll I'll use chocolate as an example and i would have been like hershey bar great and then you give me gail ambrosius and i would have been like oh what is this because i hadn't tasted it and um i totally agree with what you're saying but it also took me a while it's like in some ways it's like we have a good friend we have a good friend who has said that to me, and he has straight up looked me in the eyes. He doesn't very, he doesn't swear very much, and he has straight up said like "f you." Like you have, you have changed my palate. Like I used to go to Trader Joe's, and I used to be completely content with whatever shit I bought. And he's like, now, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm six blocks from your house. Is it such a, <laughs> it's such a problem? But his point was just the first person to say like, oh, these mushrooms are like amazing. How can you buy like whatever you know? Yeah. So right, I feel like I've been. Yeah. yeah, and I think he has changed in the way that I've changed. So on or us, it's we don't want to drink Door County, oh Door Peninsula Line, yeah, right? Oh, this is so good, and then you have gut rot the next day. Yeah. From sugar, from the right? Hurricane, ice wine. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? How'd you choose yeah. the wines that we tasted exactly. today? So we talked about we wanted natural. Obviously, we wanted all natural wines. We wanted wines we hadn't talked about yet on the season. I wanted to kind of cover different regions. And like, I was mindful of who was coming. And so I, A, wanted to pick wines I thought y'all might like, but wines that you probably hadn't had before, which with certain people at this table was very challenging. (laughs) Apparently they have it open in their fridge. I thought I was like, I was like, oh, this is brand new to table wine. No chance. It was the same grape, but it was the the Emma's toy. The oh, you don't have the agave. Oh, I thought you had that specific wine. I was like, come on, man. I thought I picked everything. So it was like a little bit of that. And then like with the pirouette specifically, I said like, this is a Pinot. It's so funny, Barb, that you said it. Because I was like, this is a Pinot that I brought in because I really loved it. And I was like, and it's not catching the way that I wanted it to. And like we were only able to buy six bottles. And so I was like, well, maybe if I pour it, it'll like, you know. You guys might like it. It might remind me of why I brought it in. So, yeah. Yeah. That. It was good. Yeah. I think in summary, we had people that liked things and did, like, everyone liked at least one thing, right? Absolutely. And I think, like, so that's, I think, which is good that people liked something and didn't. I think that was the point, in my opinion, is like, not all natural wines are the same. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. You'll like some, dislike other territory of natural. Like we had like the funkiest, and we had like the precision and purity, which was a fun landscape to cover. Yeah, that was also like important to me that they weren't all the savory barnyard style tangy stuff, right? Like there are definitely I could have had three of those. But then I feel like that's just like, yep, that's exactly what I thought natural wine tasted like. You go to a natural wine bar, like that's, I think you can easily leave a place being like, and that's what natural wine is, just come foods are with more alcohol. (laughs) If that's not your thing, it's like, well, fuck, I'm out of luck. Right. Right. And just like thinking about like, I mean, obviously I'd picked the wines before we did this, but like the wines that you all like used to introduce yourselves, like nobody was like, I'm totally into natty wine, right? And like... Are, but maybe we don't know it. Yeah, not, yeah, not everything yeah. is so blatantly labeled yeah. as it might be because maybe they don't meet the precise requirements of organic or biodynamic. I don't know what the levels or requirements are, but I feel like that's very much a difficult bar to reach for a small producer. So maybe it's like, you know what? We're natty. I'm going to tell you we don't do this. If you like it, buy it. Yeah. A level of like, even if we don't love it, we appreciate it for what it is and can like learn from it and yeah. know why it is the way it is or like learn about the region more from it or learn about something from it, even if it's not something we're gonna go buy a bottle of and drink at home. So I liked all of them for that reason and I, I loved the Pinot personally. Yeah. It was, yeah, and then it was a really, you are very much a composed group. And I was like, my salon idea of like, you know, I was I, like, I, I, I want to choose the people. Yeah. You're so fun. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm very mindful of who's coming. I want the person who's going to like, come and say some things and, you know, ask some thoughtful questions. So that was also kind of, the composition was very important. back to that salon thing because I remember that. And then I felt like that's kind of what you did with us. Thanks, guys. No, I did. No, that was like the point, right? Like that was the point. It was so like awesome. So that you could be like, you know what? These are the people, and this is the topic, and I can pick wines from everything on this shelf that's going to meet the needs of all these people. Like that is amazing. So one last thing before we conclude this episode and season two, our little nightcap, Molly. Today, I'd like to ask you, what? Is your big takeaway from the grower to drinker season? It was such a good season. I, you know, I learned a lot of skills over the course of this season. I have never interviewed anyone in my life. As Andy alluded to earlier, we have had to learn mad editing skill, you know, audio production skills that I (laughs) did not have. And I still don't know that I'm great at it, but I'm learning. But I think from, uh, wine perspective, I think there are two things that are kind of really resonating with me still. One, going back to Stephen from Von Boden's conversation about there isn't always the best wine, but there's the right wine for the moment. And I I think that that is so in tune with the way that I think about wine personally and the kind of wine that I want to put into people's hands and why I always deflect the question about what my favorite is, is because I want to try to get people what they would actually like. So that's really resonating with me. And then the thing that kept coming up over and over again was that natural wine feels more alive. You know, you were talking about like the purity of fruit, right? Like this kind of thing. I think we saw that very much in our blind tasting where that was what determined for me whether I was picking conventional or natural on those wines was just like, does it feel vibrant? And that is pretty cool. I feel like that is making me 
focus more on small producers. I guess I'm kind of also caring a little bit less of like, are you officially natural? But more on the like, are you good people? Are you small? Are you doing things kind of in the best way that you possibly can? Right. So Mm -hmm. those are kind of my takeaways. What about you? Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate that last piece in particular, like across the board, people really pushed how the whole ecology of wine is important and something we should care about. And that is something I'll be thinking about more. But my big takeaway is through this process of drinking wine with you on Thursday afternoons over Zoom or in person (laughs) usually, and then drinking wine by myself or with a partner or friends later at night or like when I usually am and realizing what a different experience it is to drink wine in different settings where I feel like I've had the same wine across different settings and it's a totally different experience. Uh, And natural wine in particular seems to capture the temporality and like space based nature of wine because it's about change. Like it evolves so quickly in the bottle and in the glass that I need, I'm going to pay more attention to the coolness of wine changing and that was also David, right? That said, keep a little bit of natural wine in your fridge. And I did that. The One of those bottles of... Shannon? Yeah, the Shannon. I was like, oh yeah, this is still in my fridge. And that was like from over a month ago. And I tasted it and I was like blown away. I wouldn't drink a lot of it. But <laughs> it was That's like, interesting. Whoa. I still have a little bit. I still ha- I should I should taste it soon. I still have a little bit of that. Yeah. It reminded me of soap, but not in like a bad way necessarily. In like a mm. really cool way that I was like, oh, this wine totally evolves differently than conventional wine or the other conventional wines I've had. So just thinking about that though, like I I return to some of my roots, the fundamentals of like smelling and tasting wine thoughtfully and being very aware of like the mood I'm in and like the, the space I'm in, because I think that's super powerful and how I'm noticing what I drink and what I enjoy. Also because we drank so many good wines, I'm more and more not, as satisfied by cheap wine. <laughs> Which is just he's going to come back to the shop. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that $12 bottle doesn't do it when hey, you're Andy, drinking. Andy, we need a Sunday person. You know? I'm just, <laughs> just saying. So? You're always welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. I think the other thing I will say as kind of our final send off is that with season one, I so very much enjoy just kind of starting this podcast and trying it out. And now as you know, with this episode, particularly where we got people together, like I just love connecting with people in this way. I listen to a lot of Bill Simmons's podcasts, like a lot of ringer network podcasts. And I'm like, I just want to be Bill Simmons, man. Like I just want to have podcasts. I just really enjoy it. I really enjoy getting to talk with you, Andy, and then like kind of connecting with people. So no, I agree. I mean, the parlor, the parlor vibe that we had was incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think a testament to wine because that was what brought us together and what facilitated a conversation and a bunch of us stayed like an extra hour to just talk yeah. after we were done recording because it was really, I think that's like the ideal thing is wine gets you to converse and meet people and comfortable to talk about something. So it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. One, two, three. Cheers! The Table Wine Podcast is brought to you by me, Andy Stoiber, and Molly Moran. Special thanks to Craig Ely for his production consultation. If you're enjoying what we're doing here and want to support us, you can do so at tablewinemadison.com 
slash podcast. And as always, please review, rate, like, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.